You're listening to 12:32, an audio epic produced by Rumble Stump Entertainment. We're going to take just a minute to hear from our awesome sponsors who make this show possible. Hello, 1232 listeners. This is Callie Sue, and I'm excited to tell you about Dramafy, the ultimate platform for creators and fans of audio dramas. With oodles of genres, hundreds of shows, and thousands of episodes, Dramafy is your go-to streaming service exclusively for family-friendly audio dramas. Whether you're a devoted listener or a creator of a family-friendly masterpiece, Dramafy has something for you. And guess what, 1232 listeners? You can now enjoy 1232 on Dramafy. Just go to dramafy.com forward slash 1232. That's D-R-A-M-A-F-Y dot slash 1232 and get started for free. Happy listening. Do you like listening to your stories with less advertisements? I understand. Do you and the babushka and the kiddies want interruption-free show? Go to audio-epic.com to buy it. Ad-free. That's audio-epic.com for advertisement-free show. It's easy. And now, back to the show. This episode is in memory of Jessica King and dedicated to her family. Chapter 10 Flint's brain surged as if he had just slurped down a milkshake too fast. His senses were confused. Had he been immersed in water and now shot towards the surface? Or was he on a roller coaster, underground, that now rushed with lightning speed toward the opening, regaining semi-consciousness thanks to the painful frigidity? He couldn't feel his fingers or his feet. His arms tingled and his ears burned. No coherent thoughts formed, except that he knew he was freezing and his whole body ached. The smell of smoke and damp stones and dirt wafted to his nose. It was a closed-in smell, not out in the open air or in the air, but it was the air itself. He could have been moving or he could have been perfectly still. Shutting his eyes and opening them again, only worsened the sting of the smoke that floated about the room. Trying that method again, he now noticed blurry shapes and shadows. The darkness grayed while glowing circles of yellow light faded in and out. Finally, Flint could hear a popping sound and then lower and higher tones that stopped and started. The thought crossed his mind that he might be underwater, but was reminded he could smell. You can't do that underwater. Flint tried to breathe, but his head was full of congestion. His sinuses were blocked with the most unbelievable pressure. Shifting his attention to his limbs, he found they were limp and unresponsive. He blinked and inhaled, feeling the ground under him. His fingers wrapped around something stringy and crisp. What is this? It was a simple piece of straw, but that didn't register, and he marveled at it. His fingers were too numb to grip it and bring it up to his face, so he rolled over onto his side. 
He could hear sharper sounds now. Then, as if someone flipped a switch, his mind was alert and all feeling returned. He heard a voice say his name. Flint. And that one word brought comprehension to him like a flood. There were crude lamps barely illuminating the dark stone-walled room, and he lay on cobblestone floor strewn with straw. A roaring fire in the hearth behind him was the source of all the smoke. Taff kneeled over him, saying his name. Flint. Rona lay on her stomach next to him, rolling her head around and blinking, trying to get a grip on reality as well. Flint flexed his fists and rubbed his hands together. It's so cold. Flint looked up into Taff's face and instantly read his mind. They were not safe here. Flint, get up, get up. We cannot stay here. Taff was lifting Rona up to a sitting position. Uh, wh- where are we? Am I dreaming? But before anyone could answer, Flint realized what had happened. I've been transported. We must have entered the gravitational pull of the subtonic shard and, and been drawn through a wormhole to uh, what looks like a primitive... Uh, no, no, it can't be. Uh, th- th- this can't be. Flint stumbled to his feet and wobbled to a wall where he could better study the painted stone. If I'm not mistaken, we are uh, judging by these stones and the way they are laid out. Let's see, we're in medieval times or we have at least been transported across the Atlantic. How? Oh, oh, this is too amazing. This is too fantastic. I'm dreaming. Oh, I must be dreaming. He went on touching and examining the wall and the lamps. Uh, This is inaccurate. Wherever we are, they have lit this room out of the historical context. They would have used torches. Most certainly would have used torches. It's a shame, too, because everything is so original in such good condition. Wow. While Flint was overreacting, he had forgotten about Rona and Taff altogether. Flint, this way. Taff was pushing the addled Rona through a door, leading into a dark hall. We cannot stay here. Why? What's the... Flint didn't get his sentence out before his question was answered. Flint spun around identifying a noise behind him as the shuffling feet of four medieval retainers came bursting in. They were dressed in worn leather trousers and stiff leather armor, wearing unpolished helmets and black boots. Underneath their leather breastplates were tunics made of black wool. They each carried a short sword, drawn, and advanced across the threshold of the large door opposite the fireplace. They were shouting something Flint did not understand. Before he could react, one of them seized him by the shoulder and pulled him into a headlock, holding his sword to Flint's neck. Ow! Hey, what is this? What are you doing? Ouch! Flint's bearded captor clenched his neck more tightly, the louder he protested. You're choking me! But the attacker did not seem to care. Flint remembered Taff and Rona, and he strained his head around to see them. They were fighting the guards back to back, standing over the crumpled bodies of two of them. More kept coming in. Taff had taken a sword from one of his fallen foe and had no mercy on the ones that got close to him. He fought with vigor. Clearly, he knew how to use a sword. Rona struggled to hold her own. She had her knife, but did more dodging than anything else. She tried to stay close to Taff, but to Flynn's horror, they got separated. He feared for his sister. More men were coming up behind her. Another soldier, a much bigger man, advanced close to her and tucked his leg around hers and pushed her backwards. Rona reached out to cut him with her small knife, 
but he drew his sword and knocked her over the head with the hilt of it. She collapsed in the doorway. The different-looking man, presumably a knight, had enormous broad shoulders. He was clean-shaven and didn't wear a breastplate. Instead, he wore a black tunic of finer material, with a golden emblem on the front. Flint had to squint to see it. The knight did not stand still for long at a time. The emblem looked like spikes coming out of a circle. But on reflection later, Flint realized it was a solar eclipse, a black circle blotting out a radiating sun. Even though Flint's situation had not gotten any better, he was enamored by his imagination suddenly come to life. His brain worked like a computer's algorithm as he searched to place the eclipse and the surrounding scene into what he knew of history. But the dreamlike quality of the scene returned when Taff came into the picture. <laughs> Leave it to me in my dreams to put a man in a t-shirt and fatigues, sword fighting a knight in a castle. Dreams are always so unpredictable. From his point of view, he could see Taff and the knight go blow for blow, their swords clanging, being a much less romantic sound than Flint had imagined. He winced. Each time their swords clashed together, sparks went flying, their grunts and heavy breathing charged the room with intensity. They moved and flitted with a strange agility, similar to a game, slow motion, then swift and deadly. Dreaming. Uh, I'm dreaming. This cannot be real. Flynn's mind reasoned. His thoughts were interrupted by a splatter of blood from one of Taft's blows to a soldier that landed on Flint's floundering hand. Flint looked at it in horror. You are outnumbered! Surrender, fool! Your cause is lost! The knight shouted. Bearing down on Taff with so much force, Flint thought the man might chop his friend in half. Their fighting was ranging all over the room. Flint's eyes followed them until he saw the pedestal with a stone secured on it in the center of the room. The pedestal and the stone that sat on it appeared to be the only thing that kept Taff alive at the moment as the two men pivoted around it. As Flint watched, Taff came back at the knight with such speed that he had to conclude the table between them was all that kept the knight alive. Not while I live. Taff replied, saying it in a voice that would have truly scared Flint if he didn't think it was merely a nightmare. Taff was spinning and striking over and around the little table so quickly that the knight had to retreat to a corner to have enough time to signal his men to join in again. After a wild ruckus, Taff was eventually taken. Flint watched as they carried him out unconscious and bleeding. Hey, psst, real quick. Let's hear a word from our awesome sponsors who make this show possible. Then we'll get back to the episode. Let's face it. The gravitational pull that occurs during time travel can leave your back a mess. That's why 1232 is sponsored by Alpha and Omega Chiropractic serving Rudosa, New Mexico, and the surrounding area. Whether you're seeking treatment for new or reoccurring pain or are interested in preventative care, they are ready to work towards a healthier, happier you. Visit alphaandomegachiropractic.com for more information and schedule an appointment today. That's alphaandomegachiropractic.com. This episode of 1232 is sponsored in part by Oasis Family Media and its family of companies including Oasis Audio, Enclave Publishing, and Sky Turtle Press, publishers of the forthcoming epic Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, rendered in modern prose by Rebecca K. Reynolds and illustrated by Justin Girard. 
For more information, visit fairyqueen.com. That's fairyqueen.com. Or find the link in the description below. Is your tea in the cupboard boring? Is the coffee you buy from the grocery store expensive and crappy? It's time you use our promo code 1232 for 32% off your first order of quality tea and coffee from atticustea.com. That's 1232 for 32% off your first order at atticustea.com. And now, back to the show. The medieval men had to step over Rona to get through the door. Flint thought Taft might have been dead. My dreams usually aren't this violent. And following that thought, Flint came to terms that this was not a dream after all. He recognized the stone on the table as it was the same material as the one he had examined in New Mexico. Although he might have conjured that, he was not imagining the chokehold the guard had on him. His doubts were being drowned out by a growing panic. Where am I? Oh dear God, if this is real, Rona is really badly hurt. She probably has a severe concussion. She needs to get to a hospital, and, and how are we going to get out of here? Why is this happening? Where are we? If this is all real, then we're dead. We're going to die. He struggled to get free of his attacker's iron hold. That did nothing but make matters worse for him. Flynn's face was blue, on the verge of losing consciousness, when she entered the room. The lack of oxygen to his brain made the entrance of the woman all the more translucent and stunning. The guard shoved him to the floor. Flint dared to look up. Chills ran down his spine. The retainers stood at attention. She was a tall lady in a black and gold dress that flowed around her like liquid. She wore a sword belt with gilded embroidery. Long leather gloves were tucked into the belt and they too were equally opulent. Her skin was dark, her hair a rich brown, ever so slightly red in the light. There was an obvious intent to keep it tidy, but her locks were wild, falling in reckless abandon over her shoulders below her elbows. Flint might not have called her drop-dead gorgeous, but he wouldn't forget her elegance or vengefulness. A rustle behind him turned all eyes on the other woman in the room, Rona. She had regained consciousness and found her knife. Though addled, she rose to her feet and threw her knife at the knight who had defeated Taff. By an unnatural twist of fate, however, he stepped aside just in time. The blade grazed the back of his arm before sticking with a loud into the ornately carved pedestal. Guard seized Rona. She kicked and elbowed, putting up a ferocious fight. So ferocious that one of them let her go and stepped away, holding his eye and another was doubled over, moaning. The knight turned around and conked Rona on the head with the hilt of his blade, again looming over her like a bear. Her knees buckled, and she fell face first beside her brother. Flint looked up pleadingly at the lady. Hey, that was uncalled for. We are... The knight had grabbed him and hauled him up, only to drag him to the lady's feet and throw him down again. I mean, yeah, she was being a little too obnoxious. The lady only looked at him with a distant expression, emphasized by her vivid hazel eyes. Her raspy voice betrayed her attractive features. Who are you? Who sent you? Have you come to spy on me? 
Uh, no, we are, um, not spies. We're just peaceful researchers, or, um, not all of us, but... Flint stammered back. I'm, uh, Flint Thatcher, and this, this here is my sister Rona. Um, Thatcher, ma'am. She lifted her chin and narrowed her eyes, so that their mysterious color flared from the slits in her eyelids. Show proper respect for my degree, knave. I am your superior, a priestess. I am Zorial of the Eastern Lands. I speak the will of the goddess, Laotha. I am the black sorceress. I rule these lands. Her tone gave Flint the chills. Keeping his wits and being diplomatic would be better than fighting like a cornered tiger. He hoped. Uh, very nice to make your acquaintance, madam. Or, uh, high goddess Zorabel of the country of... Um, <clears throat> if it's okay with you, I'd just like to take my sister and get out of your way. We, we don't want to bother anyone. Harm you have caused. I am in no mind to release you or her. She said to Flint, looking right through him. He knew his attempt at diplomacy had failed. She turned to the knight. Put them in the dungeon, Regar. Their names alone are proof of treachery. She turned calmly and walked to the fire. As the guard shoved him out the door, Flint glimpsed her caressing the carol stone like a coiling snake. The second stone. Flint couldn't help but be intrigued. They were dragging Rona out by one arm. What if she doesn't wake up? The lonely feeling he had always denied at last leapt to his throat. Without Rona, he would be alone. Flint's fear of death materialized, and he could feel it now, like a crushing weight on his chest. His breathing unsteady, no comfort came to him as he was shoved down the long, narrow stone stair and down further, where he could feel the atmosphere change from sun-warmed air to a cool earthiness. They passed into a doorway lit by torchlight, where Flint got a nose full of prison odor, making him throw up a little in his mouth. The guards locked them both in a tiny cell, no bigger than a twin-bed frame, with a ceiling made of an iron grate about eight feet above the floor. The cell door was solid wood, joined by iron bands and set on iron hinges. It had one slot in it for food to come in and an almost modern looking mechanism on the outside. The walls of the cell were of earthen brick, but not well made. They were crumbling and running together. Obviously, the cells themselves were built before the newer doors. From the bit of light that diminished with the disappearing torches, Flint could see watermarks on the walls. That's higher than my head. This cell must have flooded. Oh no, oh no. He went on panicking and pacing for a few minutes in the semi-darkness, moaning his thoughts aloud. He was about to hyperventilate when he tripped and fell, catching himself on the wall. Oh, what was that? He had tripped over his sister's leg. Oh my gosh, Rona, I'm so sorry. Flint knelt beside her, nervously trying to prop her up against the wall. He was too weak to lift her, but he got her head and neck bent upright and gave up. Rona lay there, unconscious of her brother and everything else, getting a crick in her neck. Flint started talking to her, as if she could hear him. Rona, Rona, are you okay? I, th I think this is real. I mean, I, I thought it was a dream, but it's, it's real. You're really bleeding. 
I can feel the bruises on my neck. I... Oh, Rona, what are we going to do? He continued like this for the better part of an hour. When nothing changed, no matter how many times he rubbed his eyes or slapped his face, the shock set in. Flint slid his back down the wall and sat there, staring into the dark. All his life, he had studied medieval history, but it never came clear to him that those people lived just like him. They died, too, just like we will, he concluded. Up to today, everything he had studied had been compartmentalized in a timeline or in a text. Now he was breathing history's air, tasting history's grit in his mouth. It was no longer at arm's length in black and white. He could not close the book and think about it later. He was living it. Not a theoretical problem with a theoretical answer. This was the real deal. Try as he might, he could not objectively consider his options. He tried in vain to snap himself out of the hopelessness. In conjunction with hysteria, Flint felt restless and tired, similar to jet lag, and dozed off into a stressful sleep. You've been listening to episode 10 of 1232, produced by Rumble Stump Entertainment. This episode is in memory of Jessica King and dedicated to her family. Written by Callie Sue and Cheyenne Bell. Narrated by Callie Sue. Today's voice talents include Robin Cage as Rona Thatcher, Matt Burke as Taff, Corey Keller as Flint Thatcher, Jessica King as Enchantress Zorial and Jonathan Cook as Captain Rhaegar. This episode was mixed and engineered by Jet Black, edited by Casey Caballero, Caballero Sounds. Music by Callie Sue and Jet Black. Mastered by Zach Bryant, Nine Moon Mastering. Cover art by Niall C. Grant. This episode was made possible by our generous and incredible backers through Kickstarter. You know who you are. To our knights, our bards, our Welsh bowmen, our wizards and chieftains, thank you. Continue the adventure in episode 11.